If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 651. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. Under that YouTube video, if you're watching on YouTube, click that heart, that super thanks button. If you like the video, you can throw a few pennies my way. Also, go to McClanahan Academy. You can purchase one or 20 classes there. I've got so many available for purchase. They're really awesome. You're going to want all of the classes, but just start picking up one here and there. And of course, you can support this podcast that way. You keep it keep it going, keep the lights on by purchasing those classes, and you get great content on the back end. So it's a win-win for you. Also, click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way there. Give me that email address while you're there. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share it around on social media. And send me those show requests. That's how you keep growing the audience with me, right? We're in this together. I want to talk about a piece I read at Chronicles Magazine by Tom Piatok. And this is something I've talked about before on this podcast, but you know, great minds think alike in what's happening here. But one of the things I've mentioned when we talk about the court, the federal courts, is that really what the left has figured out This is why they're so upset about the federal courts going against them, because that was the one area that they thought they controlled. And if all else failed, they could use the federal courts to get what they want. We've seen it over and over again in the 20th century. Most of what we consider to be leftist legislation is not really legislation. It's leftist court decisions. That's what's allowed them to to win, in so many ways, the culture war, right? So we can say that you know that people are pushing back against the culture war right now. But you have to be very careful about this because of court decisions. Particularly if you're in employment, you know, you're in a job. Now, if you're you know, employed on your own or you're independently wealthy, whatever the case may be, you don't have to worry about those things so much. I, I always remember uh, you know, something Rush Limbaugh said uh, years ago when I was listening to him, when I still listen to him. And he, he talked about um, his wealth. And we all know Rush Limbaugh had a lot of money. But he remembered what somebody told him, was that he hoped that Rush would make enough money that he would not be beholden to anybody or afraid to say anything because somebody would cut his funding. And that is a very powerful position that most people never have. I mean, that that you can just go say anything you want, anytime you want, and you don't have to worry about any repercussions because, well, you're taken care of. You've got enough money. You can live for the rest of your life. Even if everybody, everything abandoned you, you'd still be okay. Limbaugh had that kind of luxury. Most people don't have that kind of luxury. And that's what the left banks on. And I'm going to talk I mean, This is about speech. In fact, this particular piece that Piatok wrote is about speech um, and Obama. But this is what most people face on a regular basis. They want to say something or they want to speak out against something they just don't see as right if it's a leftist 
position. Uh, they don't see this leftist position as right, particularly in the culture war, but they're afraid to say it, so they'll just shake their head and just go about with their business. Why? Because they're worried about the violence of the left and the soft violence of the left, which is all the things they do to you in your everyday life. They try to ruin you. They try to ruin your career. They dox your family. They do all kinds of horrible things to you. Sometimes they do violent things to you, not just soft violence. But, I mean, this is what the left has, has perfected. And the other thing, and it's, they, they do it because of courts, or they'll sue you, right? Take you to court. They'll do something to you that way. So they use a certain type of muscle against you, that, and they control these things. And so this is why the left is so ballistic about the court not going their way about a potential overturn of a, of a court decision was a bad court decision to begin with. It was completely alien to the Constitution. But yet it's given them what they want legislatively for the last 40 years, 40 plus years, almost 50 years now. So that's the issue with the left. Usually they lose elections. They don't win many elections. They have to build coalitions in Europe and that's how they kind of get their way. But generally people don't want left-wing ideas. They don't like them. They don't think they're good for society. They don't think they're good for people in general. They just don't like them. Uh, they're abnormal, which is what, what they really are. I mean, we, we use this term normal and abnormal. We don't use the term abnormal enough, I don't think. There's a reason why people are, are you know, revolted by some of the things the left does because it's abnormal. It's not, it's not normal. It's not normal behavior. These are things that people just don't do and they haven't done. And so... It's, it turns you off to it. It's not something that seems natural or uh, is something that you would accept in your everyday life, but yet it's forced into your face, which is why people don't like it. Uh, there's always been abnormal people and always people that do abnormal things and strange things. And in, in certain small doses, everyone tolerates that. Everyone tolerates abnormal, the strange, the, the, just the weird things. We all do that on a regular basis. But the problem is it's all thrown in our faces now all the time, partly because of social media, but also because of media in general, and because we're told we just have to accept these things regardless, right? And corporations, of course, are on board with this stuff, whether it's mass media or whether it's you know the drinks that you buy or the shoes that you wear. I mean, all these things are on board with this stuff. And so it's very hard to escape it on a regular basis. Schools are being inundated with it. And all of this is supposedly democracy, but it's really not. You have to remember that this abnormal stuff is actually the vast minority of the American population. It just seems like it's the majority because they control certain aspects of society that put it out there on a regular basis, but it's really not. That's something you have to remind yourself. And again, this is where thinking locally and acting locally comes into, comes into play. I can guarantee you, for most of you that are listening to this podcast, in your community, it doesn't matter where you are in the United States or in Europe or Asia or Africa. I mean, I have people in South America listening to this podcast all over the world. Generally, in your community, all this abnormal weirdness that's out there is not really that prominent in your community. Now, maybe if you're living in a big city somewhere where you have some pretty strong tendencies for these things, you might find that. But generally... Most people don't deal with this stuff unless they consume it on the media, right? Whether it's on the online or on the television or some on a movie, something like that. That's the only time they get it is in that particular way. Or if they're being spoon-fed at school in some way, if you're a young person. Otherwise, 
You don't see this kind of abnormal stuff on a daily basis. It's just not there. It, you, your, your brain, you know, most people don't, don't walk around doing these things. They just do normal things, right? Things that normal people do. But we're told that normal is now the abnormal, but that's not the case. Again, in a local, if you just look at your local environment, this is not the case. But you see, the left understands this, which is why they keep pushing the agenda. And they keep talking about things like democracy. That's not really democracy. What they really intend by democracy is a coalition of a bunch of minority groups that have a singular purpose, and that is government power. And if that coalition can win, that becomes democracy. And if de real democracy, which is the normal people stand up and say, yeah, you know, we're not going to do that. That becomes totalitarianism. That becomes something else, and they have to crush it. They have to stop it. And that's what Pia Tak is talking about in this little piece at Chronicles. If you don't subscribe to Chronicles magazine, you should. Um, it's the only conservative magazine in America that's worth reading. I mean it. The only one. Not any of the others. Not American great on a regular basis. Online and in print form. Not National Review. American Spectator is not bad most of the time. Uh, but Chronicles is just so good. Uh, it is a paleoconservative magazine. And, I mean, there are other great paleoconservative sites out there. But Chronicles has a print magazine, the Charlemagne Institute. And so you should read, uh, you should read Chronicles. So this is from uh, June 1st. But uh, Piotok says, Writer and aspiring politician J.D. Vance recently offered his, this astute observation. Quote, Barack Obama is articulate but has never made a memorable speech. The reason is that his views are utterly conventional. He's incapable of saying anything outside the elite consensus. He's a walking, talking Atlantic magazine subscription. Now, the Atlantic magazine is great for podcast fodder. It is awful. But they publish so much stupid stuff that I get to talk about it. But I think, you know, he's right about this. Vance is right, and so is Piatot. They're right. Obama is vanilla. He really is. He's vanilla. Uh, Obama doesn't say anything too controversial. Obama sticks his finger in the wind and tries to figure out which way the leftist wind is blowing or what he thinks is going to get him some votes at times, and that's what he says. Obama sounds great when he's making a speech, but his speeches are vapid. There's nothing to them. Never. I mean, I was trying to go back when I did my 26 speeches at Changed America class, and I thought, all right, well, let me come up with 26. Let me, And I actually thought about trying to include something from Obama. The problem is there's nothing there. But Obama's speeches didn't change anything. It's just the image of Obama that sticks in people's mind as being an, a transitional or transformative period in America. But it wasn't really. Obama was simply a symbol of um, what uh, this, this push to have um, this, uh, this certain type of image for America. That's it. That's it. Obama himself is a nothing. Obama wasn't really that remarkable as a student. Obama wasn't really that remarkable as a politician. Obama wasn't that remarkable about anything. Except he checked off a number of boxes and the left could pat themselves on the back that they actually finally did something to have uh, a new face of America. That's it. That's the only reason Obama has any impact today. If Obama was not the first African-American president, nobody would pay attention to Obama. He's that insignificant. Uh, but because of that particular status, he's elevated to something higher than he actually is. He's not an elite. He's not an intellectual elite. He's not anything. 
Um, Obama is simply a, a, uh, a non-entity if not for the fact of his race. Um, Obama wouldn't even have won, frankly, against Hillary Clinton if not for his race in the Democrat primary in 2008. He wouldn't have won. Hillary Clinton, if, if, you had, if Obama was not African-American, Hillary Clinton wins that 08 primary. And Bill Clinton pointed it out. You know, he said it. They're playing the race card against me. Of course, Clinton didn't say, like, all right, they're playing the race card against me right now. And uh, those Obama people, those Obama campaign people, that's what they're doing. I mean, this is what Clinton was right about that. This is what they did, and Obama banked on that. And it, and it got on the presidency twice. Otherwise, he's nothing. So Piatok says, what should give us pause? Obama, who divides his time between a mansion in Washington, D.C., another in Martha's Vineyard, and similar enclaves where he lends his manicured hands to whatever elite cause needs them, recently gave a speech at Stanford expressing alarm that people are allowed to read things. The Atlantic would never print, right? Read things the Atlantic would never print. What Obama advocated was the suppression of political speech that is unpopular among people who live in places like Martha's Vineyard and who send their children to schools like Stanford. This is not new. Go back to 1798. What was happening? 1798, you have the sedition law passed by the Federalists, who, of course, are from New England. (laughs) Obama, in many ways, is a Yankee. He has a Yankee mentality about him. This is the Yankee problem. As I said on Twitter, we don't have a race problem in America. We have a Yankee problem in America. Obama is indicative of Yankees. And so this is the real issue. Obama doesn't want you saying things that he doesn't like. And the Federalists in 1798 didn't want, didn't want you saying things that they didn't like, particularly those that would call their policies and their people into disrepute. Right? They would, they would, they would call them and take them to task. Obama remembered just enough from teaching constitutional law to know that he needed some obfuscation. So he burbled about the importance of protecting democracy. Most people equate that word with popular sovereignty, which indeed is what democracy has historically meant. But for Obama and his allies, it actually means a system that reliably produces the political outcomes desired by elites, which is why the Atlantic and similar amplifiers of elite opinion cast nationalists and populists who win free and fair elections as threats to democracy. This is exactly right. I mean, they don't like democracy, really, because democracy works against them so many times. It was democracy in these states that had, for example, let's just look at uh, the issue of same-sex marriage, right? If that, whatever that term is. Well, states had prohibited these things. That was democracy. The courts come in, that's an elite move, and they knock it down. Or take uh, the, the uh, California ban on affirmative action. That was democracy in action. The courts come in and knock that down. So you see, the thing is, the courts, which are anti-democratic, but are cast as democratic, are the real problem. The left can't win democratically. Now, in some cases they do, in some states they do. California, New York, Massachusetts. The left will win these states democratically, and they can get all of the insane leftist policies they want there. The issue is they think that there's somebody somewhere in another state that's going to be oppressed by some right-winger, and we need to go in and make sure that we have a national standard on all these left-wing idiot causes that we have. That's not how federalism works. Uh, Because I can guarantee you right-wingers don't sit around and say, you know what, there's some conservative out there somewhere that's getting abused by some left-wing government. we got to go in and save that person. Now, I I guess some people do. But 
Most conservatives are worried about what's going on in their own town. They don't they don't care about somebody somebody else. I mean, they could go their whole life and not think about somebody in another state. It, it doesn't matter to them. But the left does this, and it's why, and, and they use things like democracy or imagery or you know some type of oppressed population to win. Right? This is what they do. Piatok says, by contrast, globalists who are brazenly who brazenly undermine governments actually chosen by voters are portrayed as the true champions of so-called democracy. Hence the consistent demonization of Donald Trump, Viktor Orban, and Poland's Law and Justice Party, a right-wing populist entity that combines staunch social conservatism, economic populism, and a distrust of elites, depriving such retrograde forces of the political power given to them by the voters. Anyone on Facebook and until recently Twitter has a sense of how Obama-style democracy works. The plutocrats who controlled Facebook and Twitter in 20 and 2021 waged concerted campaigns first to ensure that Donald Trump would not be re-elected and that no one questioned the legitimacy of Joe Biden's election and then to promote whatever action was being urged at the moment by Anthony Fauci and the Centers of Disease for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, one thing also, it wasn't just, it wasn't just uh, when they say ensure Donald Trump wasn't elected, it was deplatforming Donald Trump. It was making it to where he had no voice that these social tech companies, because that's what they are, ensure that the President of the United States had no political voice on their platform. I mean, it, it shows you what these things really are. And, they, and they're, they're simply just an updated version of the newspapers of the 18th and 19th century, which were partisan rags, right? But at least in that case, they would never say the President doesn't have an outlet on these newspapers. They would just rip it apart. But you see, Twitter and Facebook hide behind objectivity. We let everybody have access. Everybody can say what they want, but they really can't. They really can't do that at all. Um, so, and Obama's fine with this, as Pia Talk points out. Those who supported Trump questioned whether Biden had actually won or challenged the medical order of the moment from Fauci or in the CDC face either permanent bans, temporary suspensions, or more surreptitious measures designed to minimize their audience. Incredibly, anyone posting anything at all on topics of election fraud or COVID-19 on Facebook had a label appended to his post saying that experts had determined that there was no election fraud and that there was no reason to doubt Fauci or the CDC. I mean, again, this, this was incredible. I, I, and this is what Obama and the left really want. Piatok says, nor were Facebook and Twitter outlies in these efforts. Silicon Valley as a whole has become an enthusiastic participant in America's continuing culture war. And there is as little doubt about the rightness of the elite agenda in Silicon Valley as there is in Davos or Wall Street, D.C. or the faculty lounges of Harvard, Yale, and Stanford. Research psychologist Robert Epstein estimated that Google's efforts on behalf of the Biden campaign were worth some 6 million votes. So think about that. You know, Biden won, supposedly, by about that number, right? Or, I mean, so uh, that's a, that's Biden's victory. And this is because the tech companies control these things. Now, at the end of the day, how are you supposed to get your information? If you don't go online, it's very hard to do. Um, I notice that in my own life, when I don't pay attention as much to social media, I'm generally happier. And I think most people realize that too when they get off of these things because the whole design is to make you miserable, to make you think everything is falling apart. And in some cases, we know it is, right? As you drive out and your gas is $5 a gallon and you're 
and your grocery bill has gone up you know, 20% or more in the last year, you know something's wrong. But how do you fix that? Well, you gotta you gotta hedge yourself at your own local level, and you gotta have good neighbors, and you gotta be someone who is out there working to try to ensure that your neighborhood and your community reflects your values. It Washington D.C. is lost. This is why this program is Think Locally, Act Locally. Washington D.C. is lost. But we have to. I mean, we have these things out there, these social media giants and other things that make it very difficult. To engage in some, in to getting involved actively in things, even just you know sharing photos with your family. Barack Obama and the other self-professed champions of democracy have the same goal as the party did in Orwell's 1984: to make opposing their agenda literally unthinkable. In his Stanford speech, Obama briefly denied that he had any desire to ban all forms of hate speech, but pivoted quickly to emphasize that the First Amendment's protections applied only to government actions. He went on to urge comprehensive regulation of both the content of social media and its users. Now, let me say something about that. One of the most important things the First Amendment is there to protect is political speech. It is political speech. The the founding generation were generally on the same page about a culture war, right? When it comes to things that we argue about, can you say this or that today? I mean, they could say whatever they wanted to about different people, but it was political speech that was important to protect because they saw the the impact that if you ban political speech, what that would do. I mean, if you make uh, it treason to denounce the king or the queen, you could be drawn and quartered in England. And that was something that they didn't want to have happen here in America. So political speech is very important, but it's also one of the only forms of speech that's not protected by civil rights legislation. You can't say, and this is what I said, when, when the left wants to soft- uh, engage in soft violence against you. Their speech is protected. Yours is not. You can be fired for political speech because it's not protected, right? So you could you can't wear your Donald Trump shirt into work uh, because that's not protected speech. But of course you can you can do all kinds of other things. If it's a social justice crusade, even if it's political, it's okay, right? So. But most people, I will say this, most people are pretty, uh, they're pretty sympathetic or receptive to understanding that, you know, you don't really go into work and do these things. You don't go into work and, and, uh, you know, talk about politics and religion with your coworkers. Most people know that. They go in, they talk about, you know, the ball game or they talk about, you know, what's, uh, you know, what their families are doing or whatever it is. I mean, just simple stuff. They're kids. They don't talk about these other things. Why? Because it makes for an uncomfortable working environment. And most people go into work and they just don't want to have to deal with that stuff. Right? You have the you have the idiots that'll do it and, and just try to irritate people all the time. But most people don't want to do that. They just want to go in, do their job, do what they got to do, and go home. And then they can do all this stuff on the side. But you see, political speech is the most important speech to protect. And so, but you can, I mean, that's why you know, the left understands that if they engage in soft violence, they're going to create all kinds of problems for you because they know the government does not protect it, even though that's the most important form of speech to protect. He wanted to urge comprehensive regulation of both the content of social media and its users. Now, see, these are private organizations, but on the other hand, they serve a public function. So in that way, uh, there's a there is a line here. 
So what can they do and what can they not do? What can they, what can they censor and what can they not censor? While content moderation can limit the distribution of clearly dangerous content, it does not go far enough, Obama said. These companies need to have some other North Star other than just making money and increasing market share. Fix the problem that, in part, they help to create, but also stand for something bigger. So it's good to keep off dangerous content, but you got to go further. you gotta reg- You got to make sure that our views are the only views you're going to see. In other words, Obama thinks that Silicon Valley's inventing a technology that allowed for the dissemination of unorthodox ideas is a problem. Solving that problem requires not just suppressing disfavored ideas, but also promoting a world in which whatever the inventors deem to be racism, ethno-nationalism, sexism, class conflict, religious strife, or nationalism are unthinkable and intolerable expressions. In other words, it is now the very apogee of respectable opinion to insist that you and I just shut up. Now, I've said on this podcast before what the response to this garbage that they're doing should have been is no shut up, right? We want to turn down that monument. No, just shut up. No shut up, go on. But what the left has done for years is that exact same thing to us. So um, why not do it to them? But this is, again, you have to start, this is what the left can't stand. When, when, when conservatives start acting like the left in some ways, they can't stand it. They go ballistic because they start to lose. They know that their only thing they have is that conservatives generally just shake their head, turn the other way, and go on with their business because they just don't want to deal with it. But I think enough people are starting to say, you know, now we're just not going to do this anymore. And if people just did that, all this stuff would start going away. It would go away fast because they're in such a small number, such a small minority. It wouldn't exist. Obama no doubt thought he was outlying outlining an inevitable future. But days later, the world's richest man decided Twitter was going to have free speech as delimited by American jurisprudence. Maybe we don't have to shut up after all. So, I mean, this is this is an interesting little piece. And like I said, I like, uh, you know, reading stuff from Chronicles and, and going through things with Chronicles. And it's a great magazine. You should get it. And again, great minds think alike. So, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you tomorrow for the next one. See you then.